0: Welcome to the Research Culture Uncovered Podcast, where in every episode we explore what is research culture and what should it be. You'll hear thoughts and opinions from a range of contributors to help you change research culture into what you want it to be.
1: Okay, so I'm Tony Bromley and welcome to the Research Culture Uncovered podcast. Um, This is season two, and in season two, we are speaking to people who presented at the Research, Education and Development Scholarship Conference of 2022. The conference theme was how do we stop losing talent in research careers? And in terms of research culture, through that title, it covered covered an awful awful lot of aspects from research culture. Today, I'm delighted we've got with me uh, Cecile Menard from the Institute for academic development at the University of Edinburgh and the title of the presentation was researchers in long-term employment on temporary contracts the sisyphus of academia so hello to you
2: hello Tony
1: <laughs> are you okay today
2: yes yes very well thank you very much
1: I know we sort of ask about doing an icebreaker just to you know make more personal, so people learn a little bit about us. And just in, the, in when we were talking earlier, you mentioned that you were a pub landlady, which is a different one for me. So, what, <laughs> what was that all about?
2: Yes, indeed. Well, I uh, I worked in the service industry for about ten years after I went to school, I got my baccalaureate in France in '93, and I was actually a mature student um, in in England and started my my undergraduate degree when I was 28. So there's a 10 year gap during which I was a waitress, I was a barmaid. And and when I moved to the UK, uh, I was I was a waitress for about three years, moved to Brighton, worked in a pub and as things go, the, the then pub landlady uh, left and I was offered the job, and initially I said no. So I went back to, to the boss, the owner of the pub, uh, and, and said, "No, no, okay, I'll, t- I'll take the job." So there you go. That was in Brighton between 2000 and 2002. The uh, Barley Mow for people who know that pub.
1: Oh well, we may well have people who know the Brighton area or on the yes. call. <laughs> no, it's it's interesting people's backgrounds, and there's um, in terms of the conference, there was. Um, one or two presentations about mature uh, people coming into PhD programs mature because we still, you know, to a lot of extent, follow cliches of people being 21 straight out of degree programs yes. and go to PhDs. And it's, it's, it never was entirely the case, but it's increasingly not the case. So it's, yeah. it's interesting to hear your background. Um I was going to get to your title, actually. So, in your title, uh, "Researchers in Long-Term Employment on Temporary Contracts: The Sisyphus of Academia." So, I've got to come clean, and I'm not an expert in the Greek mythology. So, I just wondered if you could perhaps explain the metaphor why you chose Sisyphus and what Sisyphus did, or what happened to Sisyphus.
2: What happened to Sisyphus? Well, if you want, I can I can start first uh, saying who I'm talking about, which maybe would be make more sense. Uh, so when I say long, well, researchers in long-term employment on short-term contract, I said, that's a bit of a mouthful. So I, I will shorten that to long-term researchers. And what we've defined as long-term deser- researchers are people who have been in short-term employment uh, for more than eight years. And usually the eight years is quite, it's quite important because a lot of, of funding bodies have narrowed their eligibility criteria to be able to apply, for example, for independent uh, research fellowships to about eight years. And although some of those eligibility criteria are being lifted now, you still have to justify, after a number of years after your PhD, why you're still, for example, applying for early career independent fellowships. You still have to justify why maybe you don't have the, publication numbers or, or the amount of funding. So these are the people I'm going to, to be talking about and what I call long-term researchers. So if you go back to Sisyphus, uh, so there are actually quite a lot of similarities, d- different angles from that. So first, Sisyphus was uh, was a king, I can't remember of where, um, but he was condemned uh, for, eterni- for eternity by Hades, uh, the the God of the underworld, to roll a boulder up a hill or a mountain, only to see as soon as he was at the top of the mountain, only to see the boulder roll down again, and he had to start all over again. And this concept, this idea of starting all over again is something that is very familiar with long-term researchers. Um, because, you know, when you're on short-term contract, and when we're talking short-term, um really it's as as short as you know a few months three six months if you're lucky you'll have five years but in general it's usually you know around two years um but you know you can have one three year contract and obviously once you get to the to the end of your contract you have to apply for a new job Mm -hmm. and for some people they will with the same principal investigator the pi they'll be with the same line manager for you know a long time but for many they have to apply for a new job Sometimes they have to change university, city, country more rarely because usually, you know, those long term researchers are older than the early career researchers. So they will have a family. So they try to stay in the same area. You change research group, you, you change line manager. So you will feel like you are starting all over again, effectively. Mm-hmm. And often you are, and, and you know, in terms of grades, As well, uh, you are kind of starting from scratch. Um, There are, there's another reason as well. So there are four reasons why Sisyphus is quite um, important (laughs) there. Um, So the second one is like Sisyphus is a myth and there are different definitions to what a myth is. So, you know, the myth of Sisyphus is a traditional story in Greek mythology. And then another definition of myth is a widely held but false belief. And I think around long-term researchers, there are a lot of widely held but false beliefs. So I have heard over the years, I'm I, I myself am a long-term researcher, and I've heard over the years, you know, many people talking about those researchers in <laughs> derogatory terms. For example, you know, the hanging on, on, the passive postdoc, and you know, kind of the floater. Which I think
1: yeah. is one Or of them. A, perhaps a homogeneous group when actually everybody is an individual, so you can make assumptions completely. that aren't uh, correct for everybody.
2: Yeah, completely. That's a very good point. Um, and I think there's, there's this belief, as you say, there's one group and they they hang on to their successful PI, who gets a lot of, of funding. And as you say, they're, they're, it's a heterogeneous group. And even the ones who do stay with the same line manager, usually, you know, they're there for a reason, they provide continuity, they supervise students or more junior postdocs. So they have a use for, you know, for their line manager. Um, Another reason why Sisyphus is useful as well to use is because as you said yourself, you know, you're not too familiar with the myth of Sisyphus. Um, and I think again, it's going back to what I was just saying. I think most people are not very familiar with who the long-term researchers are. Um, when I started this research with Sarah Shinton, um also at the University of Edinburgh, we there was no study we knew that looked at, you know, long-term researchers. There wasn't even a word to describe them. Um so that's another. That's another similarity. And finally, you would be happy. To-
1: <laughs> Sorry, <Yeah. laughs> yes, cool, finally.
2: And finally, uh, Albert Camus. As, so as we said, you know, as I said I'm, I'm originally French and, you know, Albert Camus wrote a book uh, called The Myth of Sisyphus, uh, in which he discusses the, the meaning or the meaninglessness of life, which, you know, is, is far broader than the topic of the podcast. But where he basically concludes that we must imagine sisyphus being happy doing something that many other people would find absurd and again it's the same for long term researchers often they're told you know maybe you should you should change career there's there's nothing for you there you've been stuck in this in this career with no progression for 20 years and this isn't how they see themselves for a lot of them they're in that research path because they love what they're doing and they're good at what they're doing as well. And I think, again, it's very important not to imagine what, what they are, but rather to ask them, why are you there? How did you get there? So that's it for Sisyphus. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, and no, I mean, it, it's really interesting to hear that because there's so many important points in that, uh, in terms of the metaphor, and it really does you know ring through this with... You know, what I've heard in my experiences, but what I was particularly interested in, in speaking to you for the podcast is what you've mentioned already, the research aspect, because we can easily make assumptions uh, about people in in, in general. So um, in about the research itself. So what did you actually do? What was the research project? Who, who did you speak to?
2: So the research project, it was just um, so initially the research project was about the redeployment register at the University of Edinburgh. Which is a way which we thought was would be to reduce precarity amongst research staff, because if they're more likely to be redeployed, they you know obviously that they, they won't be unemployed, which is the idea. But actually when we were looking at that, I was thinking, well, actually, even though they're redeployed, they're still in precarious position. It's still short term. And obviously people who are redeployed quite a lot or have been redeployed end up being often, long-term researchers, if you're looking at the research staff side of things, obviously, in professional services, there are similarities and, and, and parallels. Um, and so what we did is, is kind of decided we don't really know much about this population. As I said, there are a lot of assumptions. Um, and we just decided, why don't we actually talk to long-term researchers. And so I conducted, I, I, I sent a call at the at the university uh, asking long-term research staff to get back to me. I would interview them for about an hour. And 25 people got back to me and that's that's how it was. Everything comes from those 25 interviews and That was, I was hoping for 20. We don't actually know how many long-term research staff there are. And again, this is something, the whole sector, we don't know. Um, We think, uh, I saw in one paper, it was an OECD, no, it was a VTI paper um, that said about one third of researchers had been on temporary contracts for more than 10 years. Yeah. So you know, we think maybe one search in research universities, but we don't really know. So I was hoping twenty people would get back to me. Twenty-five people did, and this research come or the results from this research come from those interviews.
1: So um, what was the, What would you see as the key findings in the investigation, and perhaps what might have surprised you? So what were generally the key findings? they say, was there anything surprising?
2: Um, well, when you start from nothing. Everything is almost surprising so yes. that was that was very exciting and I think what was surprising to many of the participants is that they weren't the only ones so most people think that they are the only ones in that situation to to have been you know long-term researchers everybody else they know seem to be early career but the key findings um was pretty much what you touched on earlier that there there are you know it's not a homogeneous group and I kind of separated the group into three identities so the first identity is what i called the the candidates and it's basically a long-term researcher who see themselves in a kind of transitional role and they have been postdocs sometimes excuse me they still call themselves early career researchers and what they want to do is secure a lectureship They want to have a permanent position. They want to teach. They want to have their own research group. And effectively, what they do, what they dedicate their time to do, is to have, to tick all the boxes to become a researcher. So, you know, they want to publish in in high-impact journals. They're applying for funding. They're teaching. they're, They're getting all this experience. Interestingly, they were the most likely to say that if they... It's not secure lectureship soon, they would leave academia altogether. So they were the first identity. Second one are the ones I called the accidental researchers. And so it's a word I'm still a bit uncomfortable with, but having spoken to the participants, no one took offense. They kind of understood what I meant. An accident, you have happy accidents and unhappy accidents. So they a bit the same. So you have the happy accidental researcher who is usually a researcher who didn't necessarily at the start of their career know where they wanted to go. Um, They liked research so they they wanted to stay there for a bit and they ended up with a usually a line manager who's quite good at securing funding and they stayed with them and that line manager has acknowledged that actually the long-term researcher is very important so so they kept them. So it's really organic, It's, it's working for everybody. The second unhappy accident, accidental researcher. Um, there, there are a lot of stories of discriminations and flaws as well in in the current research culture system in a way. So you have a lot of people who describe themselves as interdisciplinary, and you know when you apply for lectureships, so often it's very discipline specific. Um, yes. And they have often never felt that they could apply for, for lectureships and for fellowships as well. A lot of them said, well, you know, I sent some applications and because it's interdisciplinary, I have one reviewer getting it or part of it, the other reviewer will get the different part and then it doesn't quite work. They never seem to, to have some feedback where everybody gets it. So there's a large percentage of long-term researchers who are interdisciplinary researchers. And then there's a huge percentage as well of researchers who are women who often went part-time either after having children or because of caring responsibilities. And because they end up being part-time, often they can't attend, (coughs) excuse me, the same number of meetings. Uh, They can't produce the same number of papers as someone who is full-time. And although we're supposed to judge to be judged in terms of you know full-time equivalence this isn't how it works um so they're the kind of what i called the unhappy accident because their their career basically their their personal circumstances really affected their professional life and then the last identity which i call the career researcher are researchers who they may have started as candidates you know they're not mutually exclusive. Many of the people I interviewed really had had different identities in different times of different times of their career. And they may have started as accidental, as candidates, and there are people who took the conscious decision to remain in research only, in a research-only career, despite the precarity of the position. Um, And they would describe themselves as as career, usually very happy with what they're doing. And all they're saying is, well, we would like we would like a different um, academic structure that allows us to be who we are, to do what we do. Because even though they're on research only contract, they do far more than research. As I said earlier, they support often the line manager, they teach, they do lots of things that are not really accounted for in their com- contract. But they know that's where they want to be
1: yeah it's, it's interesting to listening to you in connection to the other podcasts in this series because there's another theme a number a number of themes that are coming through and particularly disadvantage towards women as a whole podcast from colleagues from uh sweden on uh the title is about uh, women screwed from the start is the beginning of the title <laughs> of presentation so yeah. it, the connections are there um so in terms of the findings it's really it, it's nice to hear the clarity and I've, I've not really heard the categorizations before that you you've put forward there so does this lead to recommendations then in terms of research other things, because a lot of the precarity of short short-term contracts, long-term researchers, this has been ongoing for, I mean, I've been in research for um I've got to admit it, decades now. <laughs> so are there are there recommendations that we could we could have coming out of this research to address some of these research cultural points, which we keep coming back to?
2: Yes, I mean the, the name of the conference was how do we stop uh losing talent in research careers? Yes. And and definitely so the, the recommendation. What really struck me when I was speaking to to the long-term researchers is how the current academic structure is ill-adapted to contemporary research. Um, you know, we're expecting this kind of PhD, postdoc, lecturer, career path. And actually, a tiny proportion of people do go to that. I can't remember what was that famous Royal Society graph that said, was it about 3% of It of is the a small population. amount, yeah.
1: definitely, yes.
2: And if there was no space in academia for these long term researchers, then they wouldn't be employed. You know, no one is employing people just because they like them, that there needs to be, you know, they, they're there. And the, what is amazing is, is if you actually. So in terms of recommendation, the recommendation is really broaden up The 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 academic career structure. Forget, not forget, but don't just have PhD postdoc lecturer. The reason for that is because research has changed from the time, you know, this was, this kind of structure was was established decades and decades ago. So, you know, you have more and more huge team science, you know, some papers before, you know, if you think maybe 50, 60, 60 years ago, you had one author on a paper, now they have what do they call this mega authorship paper. Yes. It's acknowledged that research, most research, certainly in, in STEM, is a bit different in the humanities, but in STEM, you're doing it with a team. So first of all, it would be acknowledging the fact that it's with a team. And also, if you think of the current, the current structure, you effectively have, from lecturers to professors at the top, then there's a huge gap where they are expected only to line manage junior staff. And by junior staff, I mean, you know, PhD students and early career researchers. And effectively, the reason why, you know, professors, lecturers are employing long-term researchers is is because they know they have more experience. They they should need less management, certainly in terms of, of the research. I mean, everybody needs, you know, keeps on needing training and management. You can't just leave people alone, but they also provide continuity. And and I think in terms of, it it doesn't make sense to think really, if you think of whether it's at university or or in any other company, you don't just have the big boss and then the junior staff. You need someone in the middle and the long-term research staff, I think are providing this someone in the middle. And then finally, as as I said about the interdisciplinary researchers, we talk about them a lot. We say interdisciplinary is fantastic, you know, and and but actually often what it means it's interdisciplinary projects, not interdisciplinary people. And again, this 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 career, the current career structure doesn't allow for that. When you when there's a, a lectureship is is advertised, it's very, very specific. And same for as I said earlier, the fellowships. So it doesn't work anymore. It doesn't really account for the diversity of the workforce in academia. And if you open up the career structure, I think the the problem of diversity that the higher education or some sectors of the higher education sec- has will open up will open up simply because you are opening up this kind of the career structure. Different people will will fill different spaces. And I think it will be organic rather than forcing certain things so much. So just diversify the career structure, you'll diversify your workforce. So these are the recommendation really.
1: No, that's excellent. There's so many, just listen to you, there's so many interesting points that come out from this and the work and the discussion. I could go, I could ask a thousand questions. We could go on <laughs> at length, but I was trying to, if I could just bring things to a closer. Um, so the recommendations you mentioned there was terrific. Um, it is a research project. Will there be publications? Uh, can the can the listener get a hold of some more information on this?
2: Yes. So there is already a publication. Um, it's in. It's been published in September 2022, and it's in plus PLOS one. And it's uh the two co-authors are myself and Sarah Shinton. Um and maybe we can I don't know if we can put a link on, on we will we will put
1: it we will put it into the show notes uh, yes. of, of the podcast that would be terrific. Um yes. I just that just leaves me to th- um, I feel like I've cut the conversation short a little bit because there were no, so many no points to discuss. <laughs> but um thank you for joining us. It's really good to, to listen to you. Thank you.
2: Thank you. I mean if you want, I can also say there's a follow-up to that. Um we've done uh we've also done because it was a one, one institution um study, we thought it's important to know that you know our, our results are biased towards one institution. So we sent out a survey in July, and it's fantastic. We got 185 responses over 20 institutions in the UK. So there will be more.
1: Uh, that sounds well. Th- it's even better, a more robust study as well, the more data and the more information. So that's something to look out Definitely. for. Thank, thank you very much.
2: Well, thank you very much, Tony.
0: Thanks for listening to the Research Culture Uncovered podcast. Please subscribe so you never miss out on our brand new episodes. And if you're enjoying the discussions, give us some love by dropping a five-star rating and written review as it helps other research culturists find us. And please share with a friend and show them how to subscribe. Email us at academicdev at leeds.ac.uk. Thanks for listening and here's to you and your research culture.